Bible says, then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Y'all see that in your Bibles? You have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Okay? Uh, I want to talk about an evolving faith. Evolving faith. And then part of the lesson is going to be based, uh, we're going to talk about some of the things we, we have going and we're, some of the vision we're going to uh, bring about and prayerfully bring to fruition and actuality in 2020 and beyond. But in this particular text, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, three, the dynamic trio as some call it, up to the mountain and he's transfigured before them. Just to get context, the Bible says when he is transfigured, Peter, James, and John who, who saw Jesus now sees Jesus talking to two other people, two other people come out of Jesus. They appear with Jesus. All of a sudden, it's Peter, James, John, and Jesus. And when they get to that mountain, it's Peter, James, John. They see Jesus. They see Moses. And they see Elijah. The Bible says that Peter gets so excited about this that he says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let's build three tabernacles. Let's build three booths, one for you, one for Elijah, and one for Moses. Well, God didn't like that idea too much, of course, because it wasn't about Elijah and Moses. It was about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. The Bible says a voice from heaven came down and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, hear ye him. In other words, stop worried about Moses, stop worrying about Elijah, just focus on Jesus. Well, while these three disciples along with Jesus and the transfigured Jesus, including Moses and Elijah, were on top of the mountain, down at the base of the mountain, the nine other disciples were in a fix. They were in, they were in a crisis. And the reason why they were in a crisis was because there was a man who had a son who had a demon, an evil spirit. It was so evil that it would cause this man, this man's son much distress. The boy lost control of himself and the evil spirit made him throw himself into the fire and throw himself into the water and it caused a lot of self-destructive, self-destructive behavior. And this man brought his demonic son uh, demon-filled son, this son that was, was hosting an evil spirit, an unclean spirit, brought the, him to the nine disciples and asked them to cast out the demon from his son. Well, the problem was they couldn't do it. So Jesus comes down off the mountain and... Uh, he sees all of the confusion, and he says, basically, what's going on? And the man says, look, I brought my son to your disciples to cast out this demon, but they could not do it. Jesus said, bring, bring the man, bring the boy to me. Now, here, here's what you need to understand. Let's be educated off and through here. Everybody go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, it's about to get really relevant and practical in a minute. Matthew chapter 10, you got to follow, you got to follow. The details are important. The details are important. Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 1. 
and having summoned his 12 disciples, what did he do? He gave them power over what? Now, what, is, what chapter is this? This is Matthew chapter 10. Chronologically, this is before, not only numerically, because the Bible was not originally broken down in chapters and verses. Chronologically, this is before what happened in Matthew chapter 17. In Matthew chapter 10, he gave them power to do what? To cast them out. To cast out devils. Read. And to heal every kind of disease. And to heal every kind of disease. So watch. In Matthew chapter 10, they got the power to do it. Apparently, they were practicing this power. They had the power. They were given the power. We get to Matthew chapter 17, and here this man brings his son to the apostles, who, the disciples who had power to do something, but they couldn't do it. Which makes sense in our text why they would take him in private and ask this question. Why couldn't we drive it out. Why couldn't we do it? You gave us the power. Perhaps we've driven out other demons. Why couldn't we drive this out? It is because you can't get so routine in doing something that you divorce what you're doing from faith. What's the reason? Jesus says, here's the reason why you couldn't do it. You have so little faith. You have so little faith that what used to work ain't working no more. You have so little faith that what you used to be able to do, you can't do here. You have so little faith that what, what I, I gave you the power to do in chapter 10, you cannot do here because sometimes we can become so routine that we just do and we divorce our doing from faith. The natural human thing to do is to start trusting in yourself. And here they're baffled. Why couldn't we do it? I reckon the man brought the son to Jesus and they said, in the name of Jesus, be gone. In the name of Jesus, be gone. And you know how when somebody makes a shot in basketball and they think they know they have it, so they walk away before it hit? They were so used to getting it. See, see, you can't live off of charisma. Preachers, you can't live off of your last good sermon. You better keep Jesus involved in every step of the process. Singers, you can't live off the last good singing and charisma and not do what it takes. Here, Jesus says, you have so little faith. Now, watch this. He, watch this. He's being very allegorical here. He says to them, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, He's really rebuking them. He says, you have so little faith. Then he says, if you had the faith as small as a mustard seed, which is extremely small. So basically he's saying, you have such little faith that a mustard seed is bigger than your faith. Y'all don't see that in there? 
We, 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 preach, we preach on the other side of that where all you have to do is have. No, no, no. What Jesus is saying is your faith is so messed up right now because you got comfortable. You have such little faith that a mustard seed, if you just had that much faith, you can say to this mountain, what mountain? He was just on the mountain. He says you can say to this mountain, mountain, move from here to there, and nothing will be impossible to you, which means that faith is not like some other things in life where once you got it, you got it. That's not how it works. You can have faith and lose it. You can have strong faith and it be weakened. Now, I need you not to be so hard on yourself because I want you to look at this, at this evolution of the disciples. Now, mind you, these men were right with Jesus. They didn't hear about Jesus. They didn't read about Jesus. They didn't sit and hear a sermon about Jesus. They were right. Come here, Bishop Gay. They were right here, right there with Jesus, okay? This means that when Jesus healed the sick, healed the sick, Brother Gay. Just <laughs> They were right there. They were right there. This means when Jesus turned water into wine. Now, they didn't read about it. They were right there. When Jesus made a blind man see. <laughs> they were right there. Look, look, look. Don't oversimplify this faith thing. It's not as trivial as you think. These men were right there. And if you look in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 30, all throughout Jesus' ministry, he kept saying, he kept saying this one little line, oh ye of little faith. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 30, the Bible says what? But if God so arrays the grass here it of the is, field. Here it is. God, he, Jesus is telling them, if I take care of the grass, the grass doesn't work a nine to five. The grass doesn't, have to, doesn't, doesn't make money. The grass doesn't have a bank account. If I take care of the grass that doesn't work, that doesn't labor, how much more do you think I'll do for you? Amen. And then what does he say in that text? Oh, ye. Of little faith. Oh. Why, why is your faith so small? Jesus is saying, I'll provide for you. But your faith is so small. Matthew chapter 8, verse number 26, a storm arose with the disciples on the boat they were on. The storm arose in the middle of the sea, but they had Jesus right on the boat. They woke Jesus up and said, Master, don't you care? We're about to perish here. What does the text say? And he said to them. He said, thanks, Bishop Gay. <laughs> you said you're ready to sit down. He said to them, what? Why are you timid, you men of little faith? You see this? This is all through the ministry, O ye of little faith. Now watch this. These men were right there. How could you not have faith in Jesus and you right up in his face? I'm going to talk to you about the evolution of faith. In Matthew chapter 14, it was Peter. 
Remember when Peter walked out on the water for the sake of time. The Bible says the storm arose. The, the disciples were on the ship by themselves. They saw Jesus walking in the distance. They didn't realize it was Jesus. They thought it was a spirit. And the disciples, Peter said, Lord, if that be you, bid me walk on the water. If that be you, Lord, I can walk on the water toward you. The Bible says that Peter got out of the boat. He started walking on the water. And all of a sudden, he noticed the winds and the waves and everything around him. He noticed he was on the water. And he began to sink. And as he was sinking, Jesus reached down, grabbed his hand, lifted him up, and he said, you know what Jesus said to him? He didn't say to him what we say based on this text. You know what we say about Peter walking on water? That he had faith. That's not Jesus' diagnosis. That's not what Jesus said. We say Peter had faith to walk on the water. Yeah, no, 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 that's not, that's what we say. You want to know what Jesus said? He said, oh, ye of little faith. Why did you die? You see how we diagnose things? Jesus says, oh ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Which meant what Jesus was saying is, I'll save you, but it's not just about starting and having the faith to start. It counts that you finish. You get no credit for your faith if you start walking on the water. Jesus didn't say, that was good, Peter, that was good. Let's go back to the boat. No, when Peter began to sink, he reached for him and he said, oh ye, a little faith. Not only that, but the Bible says in Matthew 16, around 8, Jesus had just fed 5,000 people. In another case, he fed 4,000 people. In another case, he fed 7,000 people with two fish and five loaves. The disciples get on the boat after this miracle, and they're arguing because none of them had any food. Y'all missed that. You missed it. Jesus took two fish, fed 5,000 people. A few fish, they were right there. Fed 7,000 people. A few fish, a few loaves, fed 4,000 people. They forget to take bread onto the boat. And they arguing about not having any bread. You, you're still missing this. <laughs> you're still missing this. The same guy that fed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves was on the boat with them. And they worried about what they're going to eat. You know what Jesus says to them in that text? You men of little faith. You men of little faith. And in all of those things, all of those texts, he was saying, I'll provide for you in Matthew 6. He was saying, I'll protect you. I'll save you. I'll take care of you. You, you had Jesus saying all of these things to them. And why? Here are the three levels of faith. I want you to take this. I want you to listen to it. I want you to bury it deep within your heart. And I want, you to, I want you to really connect to this. There's faith embraced. Now, churches are full of people who have an embraced level of faith. The embraced level of faith is faith in what God will do for you. Okay? That little term, won't he do it? Won't he do it? Yes, he will. You have churches that, 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 that's, uh, that full of people that acquaint themselves and affiliate themselves with what God will do for you, right? If you are broke, he'll still make a way, right? We, that first level of faith is very selfish-based. 
it has to do with us and what God will do for us. And we believe that God will do this for me. As a matter of fact, if you're not careful, you can be suspended in that first level of, of, of faith to where all of your prayers are about what you want God to do for you. Okay? The disciples, now watch this. This level is necessary. Why is it necessary? Because you cannot have an elevated faith which is faith in what you can do through God if you don't even believe what God can do for you. But some people get stuck there. Like, God, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. I need you to do this. But God does it for us. He comes through all the time, does he not? Won't he do it? I said, won't he do it? Won't, but he doesn't just keep doing it just so that you can be comfortable. He does it so at some point your faith can elevate to the next level. So not only do you believe in what God can do for you, but you start believing on what you God can do through you. In other words, that first level says, won't he do it? That second level says, won't I do it through him? You need scripture for it? Philippians 4.13, Paul says, I can do what? All things. Through who? In other words, I know he can do it. I've established that. I've seen that in my life. I saw him turn my darkness in the day. Uh, I saw him turn things around. I saw him feed me out of nothing. I saw him give me a better job. I saw him give me a car to drive. I saw him give me a roof over my head. I know he will do it. Now God wants you to have the faith to know what you can do through him. And some people never get off of that embrace faith. You lag around always looking for God to do something for you. You wait. And you and I both get into this. We wait for a crisis. Then we start coming to church. Because we want God to do something for us. And we never get to the elevated faith where we now position ourselves and realize I believe God will do something through me. I believe I can do it through God. Now watch, pay attention. The disciples initially were in that first stage. So you know what Jesus kept doing? He kept doing something for them. Right? He kept, he kept doing something for them over and over. And during that stage, it was faith, but it was little. But you know why he did that? Because eventually, as their faith elevated, he was going to do something through them. You do know that the disciples were in training for Jesus to do something through them. And that's why we read in scripture where he says, go into all the world and do what? I'm going to do something through. He says, he says upon this rock, I will do what? Build my church. How was he going to do it? He was going up the glory. He was going to do it through them. But if they were still stuck on whether or not God can do something for me, then they would not posture themselves for God to do something. The third level is an evolved faith or an evolving faith. When your faith starts flourishing, that's when you have the faith in what you can do for God. What? What do you mean you can do for God? I mean, what can you do for God? What can you do for God? God doesn't need anything. What, 
can you do for God? What does that mean? It means where you leave that first level of selfish faith because you know he got me covered. He has my business covered. Oh, I lost my job. I, oh, no, I've seen him do that. He got me covered. But when you get to that evolved faith, you leave, watch this, you start seeking out his business. Matthew 6.33 says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. It's the part of faith that says, Lord, I believe and I'm going to trust you to do things for your glory. That's when fear starts backing up. Right? It starts backing up. Now, hear me, church. I've learned in my own life that there were times it wasn't that I didn't have faith. I had it. I didn't exercise it was the problem. You remember those horror movies? Friday the 13th? The series, right? It was one, two, three, four. After, after three, you know, you just didn't go to the movies anymore to see it. It was just... Come on, Friday the 13th, 15. Come on, we don't. But you, I saw enough of that, of the things in that movie. Enough of these situations where the person, the person who's running from Jason Voorhees has a gun. And here Jason is with his ski mask and his machete and he's coming for her and she has a gun. And guess what she does? She drops it or she runs with the gun. <laughs> you see, the devil will mess with your faith to where you'll forget what you got. You'll forget the promises you have in Christ. You'll forget the power he's given you. You'll forget all about Matthew chapter 10 because you've got so comfortable that you can't cast out the demon in chapter 17 because you forgot what you got in chapter 10. And that's what's happened in our lives, and that's what happens in our lives. The devil wants to blind us to what we have. So we end up with faith, but we don't use it. That cat meme has been going on on Facebook and on social media, and I thought I'd make one. I've been having faith. You don't exercise it. Because at the end of the day, it's not enough for faith to be possessed. You have to exercise it. You have to move on it. You have to do it. See, talk is cheap. But if you're ever going to get to that evolved faith, you've got to move on it. Do something about it. Stop talking about it. Don't be of one of those religious person that knows all of the scriptures to say, without faith is impossible. You know, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. But when real life presents a real situation, you don't exercise it. You've got to use it. Because if you don't use it, you'll lose it. You'll end up with just concept of faith. Your, your evolved faith. Okay, so, so hear me, Mountain View. Your evolved faith in God will not stand apart from your priority of God. This year, don't just have that embrace faith. Won't he do it? 
right? Well, yeah, he'll do it. But he keeps doing it for you because he's ready to do some things through you. But you don't, when we don't avail ourselves and we stay in this stage where we always want God to do it, God is saying, I've been doing it this long because I want you to trust me enough for me to do it through you. And then I've been doing that this long so, because I want you to trust me enough to do something for me. Think about my agenda. You know, it baffles me how people think you're doing them a favor. They're doing you a favor by coming to church. You're not doing me a favor. Come on in this house. You ain't got to say amen. I came to church. We're going to have an award ceremony for all those who came to church. You came to church. How much has God been doing for you? That trouble you got in that you didn't think you would get out of and you prayed. I'm talking about that situation where you said, Lord, if you get me out of this one. And guess what he did? He got you out of that one. Prayed for a job. He gave you a job and then some. Had co-workers hating on you because you walked in into a position that they felt was going to them. Won't he do it? He keeps doing it because he wants us uh, to have an elevated faith that says, Lord, now I'm ready for you to do some things through me. That first faith says, Lord, I need some money. I'm praying for some money for some money. Ooh, Lord, I need some money. 35, 9, 17, 19, because 19 is always one of the numbers. 19 is always one of them. And 27. Some of you, I, I, it's amazing. I wish you could see what I see. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. God bless your hearts. God bless you. But there are half of y'all in here that know exactly what I'm talking about because you were praying. But then when you start elevating and evolving in your faith, you say, Lord, put me in a position to bless somebody. Amen. And then when you start doing for God, put me in a position to bless the kingdom. I want to bless the kingdom. I want to do something for the kingdom. And, 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 and there are many of you who know what that's like. Where you don't even worry about your stuff. And people that don't operate off of that kind of faith think you crazy. Has anybody ever been called crazy because you had a weird, goofy, crazy kind of faith? You're part of a great fellowship. You're part of the fellowship with Noah, with Daniel, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those people who are called crazy because they trusted God to do something for God based on God's agenda. So the vision and the movement, quickly, here's the vision and the movement for Mountain View. Everybody say vision, vision. Movement. movement. Okay, we're not a monument, we're not a museum. Okay, if you go to this church, now, now there, there are different kinds of members. There are attenders, okay, and I'm, I'm, there's no criticism, right? There are people who only come here to worship and go home. I get that. I get that. That's where you are in your evolution. 
but God doesn't want you to stay there. And then there are those who are watchers. They come to everything, but they watch. Not really involved, but present. That's where you are in your evolution. Great. And then there are those who are involved, who are acting on their faith, materializing it. Look, the church needs to strengthen that core group of people that are involved. We appreciate you attending. We appreciate you coming here. You come here not for us. You come here for you and for God. But it's time to evolve, okay? Attenders know they go to that church but don't know what's going on, okay? You don't know what's going on. And uh, if you talk too much about what's going on, we're going to tip out because that ain't my business. That's y'all's business. If this is your church, it is your business. Amen. Amen. If something bad happened here, it's your business. Something good happened here. And you see it on the news, and you hearing about it on the news, and it happened last Sunday, and you say, I didn't know that happened. You got to be here. Okay? Be involved. Be connected, right? So here's the vision, right? First thing is recommitting to the mission. You got to become mission-minded, okay? Not just me-minded. Not just my-minded, but mission-minded. Not just, Lord, won't you do it for me? I know he'll do it for me. Yes. But now God wants to do some things through you. It's about being mission-minded. We say the mission and we'll be saying it every week. Why? Because we are here for a purpose. There are some churches that just meet. And all it takes is one crisis for that church to close down. We're not just a meeting church. We're a mission-minded church. Okay? First part of the mission is what? How dare us Talk to people we love and have friends and family we love who we know don't, haven't given their lives to Jesus and not say anything to them. There are people who are on their way to a devil's hell that you love. We've been lulled into forgetting or assuming that everybody's all right. I know at the funeral everybody's on their way to heaven. At the funeral, everybody's going to heaven. I don't care how he left here or how she left here. Pookie could have got shot in a blaze of gunfire from the police while robbing the bank and shooting somebody in the head. And there'll always be somebody in the funeral saying, I know he's at the better place. Pookie looking down on me right now saying, I'm all right, dude. I'm all right. He crept walking in heaven. Because at the funeral, everybody's going to heaven. But that is the biggest myth. The Bible said the Lord is going to return in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those that know not God and obey not the gospel of Christ. You don't get to go to heaven without obeying the gospel. And we're getting back to saying that and proving it and teaching it because we have been lulled to sleep in this regard. And the reason why we know we have been lulled to sleep is because we've lost our sense of urgency about seeking people who don't know Jesus. Because we confuse being a good person with being a Christian. And they are not the same. Somebody's hearing this for the first time. Yeah, let me inform you, you could be a good person and still be lost. 
Because Jesus says you have to believe on him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So we have to seek the lost. So what are we going to do as Mountain View to seek the lost? We're going to have greater participation in discipling and in soul winning. Uh, we need to turn that over to the left a little bit, if you will, Tim. Uh, what does that mean? We're going to do soul winning training. Maybe you're here and you want to you want to reach somebody. You want to reach your loved one. You want to see somebody come to Jesus. You want to contribute to why somebody comes out of darkness and decides to make Jesus their Lord. Well, we're going to have training for that, okay, so that you know what to say, what not to say. One thing you don't say is, first of all, you don't, you don't go about using fear as, as, as the means. Jesus doesn't want somebody running into his arms trying to get away from hell. Right? It's about relationship, right? Right? What, what if you got somebody who loves you and they say, why do you love me? Well, I love you because I didn't want to be alone. <laughs> What's wrong with that? Because, I mean, yeah, I know that, but why do you love me? Why, what do you love without me? What do you, what do you love without me? <laughs> well, I love about you that I'm not alone. That, that's a bad motivation. How many are going to marry somebody? Well, uh, uh, I, you know, it's better for my taxes. <laughs> you better give that girl or that man the deuces. So it's about soul winning, helping people to fall in love with Jesus, right? Anybody here married through a hookup? Yeah, I'm not going to be honest in here. Oh, I wish I had some honest soul. Anybody here been hooked up with somebody else before through somebody else? That's what I mean, yeah. Amen. Don't be ashamed. All right, we got together because his cousin, his partner, he came over and he said, I said, I got somebody I want you to meet. And she met me and I met her. And we got together. We went on a date. We didn't like each other at first. Now, you now, you know, we went on a few dates, and then we were friends for a period of time, and, and we'll be celebrating 30 years. That's what we want to do. There's some people who won't know Jesus until you hook them up. That's what soul winning is, right? So we want to expand our reach. We're in 75228. And I'm using this as an allegory. Jesus says, you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. So we're going to start Jerusalem being our present facility, vicinity. We're in 75228. It's a shame. The greatest tragedy is for a church to be in a neighborhood and the neighborhood not know it. What does that say about a church? To be in a neighborhood and to ask anybody on the next block, are you familiar with that church? And they say, I don't know nothing about them. Sad, sad, sad commentary. So we're going to start here. Judea uh, is the neighbors, right? 75227. This is considered the White Rock area. Judea would be across the highway. That's Pleasant Grove. White Rock is comfortable, relatively speaking. But darkness, light doesn't find lit places to go. Light has its greatest impact among darkness. Amen. Which means as a church, we're going to be reaching for souls who, uh, that are in areas that notoriously have a bad reputation. 
Somebody said, what are you talking about? Yeah, I hear, I hear people say, I'm from PG. What you talk about? I'm from PG. Well, good. PG need Jesus. I'm from West Dallas. West Dallas need Jesus. I'm from Oak Cliff. Oak Cliff, that's my hood. Well, Jesus is coming to Oak Cliff. Amen. Don't act like you don't know what that is because nobody ever says, what you talking about? I'm from Frisco. Frisco? What you talking about? I'm from Cedar Hill. What you, I'm from the hill. No, you don't say that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got to move, man. That being said, ministry leaders, we've had ministry activities over the years with no element of soul winning. Everything must have an element that reaches lost people. If it's a get-together, if it's a, a, a prayer meeting, if it's, a, if it's recreational, there needs to be an element that collects the information of people and invites people who don't know Jesus. Amen? Must. Not an option. Well, what are we going to do? We're going to get together. We're going to go to KFC and we're just going to eat some fried chicken in Jesus' name and we, we're just going to have a good time. Are y'all inviting anybody that don't know Jesus? Well, this is for us. Jesus says, ye are the light of the world. Invite somebody that don't know Jesus. Amen. And that will keep us behaving good. The second part of securing the saved, everybody, that's us. Now, this is the us part, right? So we have edification, upliftment, and unity cultivating. Some of you have never been to the things we have uh, at the church that, that help edify. Uh, we're going to have training uh, and releasing into areas of ministry. Uh, we're going to be moving saints to be better people holistically. It's not enough to just be a church person. God wants you to be healthy in every area, financially, Health-wise, Sister Twyman got up here. We have a financial team, financial training, uh, morally, emotionally. I've never seen such a time where there's so much emotional unhealthiness than these days and times. Depression, anxiety. But God doesn't just want you to be spiritually uplifted. And that's the problem we have in churches. We think uh, two scriptures and a song will fix your deeply-seated depression problem. When a man came to Jesus and he had multiple personalities because there were different spirits coinciding in him. When he, as a matter of fact, he didn't even have sight of his real name. When Jesus says, what is your name? The man said, I am legion. He didn't say, well, let's sing a song together. He addressed the issue. And securing the saved means that whatever's out there among the lost, when you seek the lost, ends up among the saved. If there are homosexual people, people struggling with their sexuality among the lost, if we're doing what we're supposed to do, they need to be, end up being among the saved. 
Churches are too sterile. We're supposed to have every kind of problem in here because we're fishing in the waters where the problems are. If we're seeking lost people, then people struggling with anxiety, with sexual identity, with morality, with promiscuity ought to be in here being rejuvenated, being corrected, being strengthened, being edified, and being healed. Stop looking for the church that has all good people in it. You should be allergic to that because the church that has all good people in it stop fishing amen the next aspect is what strengthening the community okay we're going to strengthen this community we're going to have community partnerships okay there's a school here Bales Elementary it ranks out of all the 100-plus schools in Dallas ISD, it ranks in the low 20. This means performance. This means test-taking. This means competency. The principal of that school, Gloria Kennedy, has given us carte blanche permission. She says, we need tutors. We need mentors. I said, well, can we, can we kind of do things on Saturday? She says, yes, you can do it. We just need help. Tell people to come on. Because when the church moved into the community, there's an expectation. The expectation is if you're a church, you should represent health and healthiness and salvation Otherwise, we need to take our sign down. So we're going to be partnering with that school, and we're already partnering with that school. There are a couple of members here. I know Sister Cameron, that she goes there and she sits with them. Some of you who, who work at overnight, maybe you can come and just sit with some of the kids during the school year and just talk to them, get to know them, help them with their schoolwork. Let them know we care because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Not only that, but we're going to connect with law enforcement and local governments. If you frown when I said law enforcement, take care of your tickets. You'll be all right. <laughs> what do you mean law enforcement? Just know, Mountain View, that this area, this area, and please don't be bored by this. This is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to make a difference. People who tune out in this point, at this point are living beneath your purpose. This area is known for the high crime of, of theft. That's what this area demographically uh, is high on. It's high on theft. And there's a lot of other things. And, and, and now, and homicide is not far behind. We live in a world where the devil wants to use fear to control us so that the church becomes more about protecting itself than reaching others. Brother Brown made a good point. We're not going to close our doors because that happened over at that church, uh, at, 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 at the West Freeway Church of Christ. We're, that not, doesn't mean, well, what we're going to do is we're going to come in, we're going to lock our doors, and we're going to screen everybody. We're going to have metal detectors. And if you don't go to this church, we're going to give you a 10-question quiz to make sure you're all right. The church still has to be a church. We put controls in place. Now, he said stop, drop, and, and just stop and drop. But the other thing you forgot to say, Darwin, is if you here and you carrying, no, you still stop and drop. What you, 
what you mean? What you mean, preacher? I mean, I know there's some grannies in here with 38 specials in the bottom of their purse covered with peppermints and caramel candies and red hots. You still stop and drop. We have a designated team for that. <laughs> All right. We're going to partner with community organizations, other churches. We're not going to be competitive. This community was here first. There's some movements going on already. Gone is the day when we see that they're having some big thing with this church, and we say, well, we're going to have our own thing. Let me tell you something, the best way to influence anybody is to not, is to, is to help. It's to show that you're more about the mission than competitiveness. And we're going to walk away from being comp competitive. Then, we're, then peak outreach. I don't know if you know it, but we have a parachurch nonprofit now called Peak, People Empowering Through Action and Knowledge. And through Peak Outreach, ultimately, we can have a school. And we will strive to have a school. We will strive to have a daycare so that we can have an environment for our children and the children of the community to come to a structured place where they can learn about reading, writing, arithmetic, and some Jesus. Some of you send your kids way across town, the churches that have them. This community is saying we need this. So did we come here to sit in nice plush seats and have good church and good singing and good preaching or did we come here to make a difference? Because God never gives you a blessing without giving you an assignment. You need to hear me. He doesn't give you a blessing without giving you an assignment. If he blesses you with something, along with that blessing comes an assignment. Because remember, he's just not a God that wants us to have faith that he can do it, but he wants us to have faith that he can do it through us, that we can do it for him. Community living involvements, these apartments and everything around us. Now, I know this is a drive-in church. How many of you live in the best southwest, Cedar Hill, Duncanville, Glen Heights, DeSoto, okay? How many of you live up north? Raise your hand, up north. Anywhere up north, you've Richardson, Garland, anywhere, okay. How many of you live in this area, Pleasant Grove, White Rock Lake? Where's the, where in the world are everybody else living? How many of y'all live under a bridge? <laughs> Who living under a bridge? Oh, look at this, Fort Worth. <laughs> Somebody said Fort Worth, Arlington, Grand Prairie. You see what's, so here's the challenge. You have people who drive in from other places. Do you see why we have to be urgent about it? We have to be urgent about it because we need to, cre we need to create and we need to pour into this community so that there are just as many people sitting in these pews from this community as they are driving in. I know that our own youth minister drives all the way from Oklahoma City, almost. McKinney. Good commitment. But now it's time to put some mission and some purpose with that commitment so we're not just sitting up here waiting for the next Sunday to happen. And finally, serving the Lord. Developing worshipers. I'm closing. And if we needed to go over, we needed to go over. 
but we're developing worshipers. What do you mean? We have kids crew. Kids crew is a microcosm of what happens in here, but the little kids are doing it. Then we have teenage worship for teenagers. And I remember a time where people fought against that kind of thing while burying their teens because of gang violence. Fought against that kind of thing while having to be grandparents before your time. You see how foolish that is? So the teens will have worship service, and they already began having worship service. So we're training up a nation of people who worship God. Raising up a nation that will worship and obey God and the statutes of God and know the value of praising and serving and worshiping God. So that when the time comes for us, so that when, uh, it, 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 when, when two or three praise leaders can't be here. So if something ever happens to Damani and he has to stay home or tend to Stephanie because her feet hurt at home and rub her feet and she can't make it to worship so she has to watch it online because her feet are hurting and he said, I'm going to stay home. I'm sorry, I can't come today. We can pick from one of our young people and say, okay, go on up there. Amen. No football game stops because a player can't run down the field. The ball still has to get to the end zone. And nothing at this church should stop because of one person. So we're in the process of raising up worshipers and worship activities. And we want to take worship outside, outdoors one day. It's going to get nice and this cold weather is going to be warm. And, and perhaps one day we'll just have worship out on the parking lot. Open air worship. Jesus taught on the hillside. Somebody said, well, if usually I'll start doing that, I got to go. My worship is for indoors only. <laughs> That's where you are in your evolution. By the way, we're no longer appealing and, and trying to appease people who threaten, who threaten the church with their absence to get what they want. You go around here saying, I'm going to leave, I'm leaving, I'm leaving, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. We're going to have our ushers hold the door open for you. Now, some of you are getting offended, but you don't even tolerate that in your own life. You don't tolerate that in your life. Somebody keep threatening, I'm going to do this, I'm going to leave. I tell you what, I'll just, I'll just take my ball and run. At some point, you get to a point where you say, you know what? You know what? But all oh, in the church, people get extra strength sensitive. He up there telling people they can leave. If you want to go, see, Jesus don't even beg you to stay with him. Why are we begging? And you and I better get someplace in our lives that when people, I remember people used to come here, Brother Mark Givens, they used to come here and we'd have guests come and they evaluate our worship service. They sit there and they look and well, this is not pleasing to God. Like they have a checklist, like they are part of the, uh, uh, the inspection committee to come and make sure we're doing right. And we've had people, and our ushers will tell you that, to get out and storm out. Y'all not doing this according to the scriptures. Uh, Mike Johnson, walk them to their car to make sure they get there safely. You cannot, we cannot be like that. We cannot let anybody, and even in your life, 
let anybody hold your growth hostage in Christ. All right. I'm done. Now, there's some of you in here who've been coming here, and you have not named the name of Jesus. You have faith, but you're not exercising it. You think coming to church is it. Jesus says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. What does that mean? That means you have to believe on Christ, but then that faith has to be exercised. Do you believe him on him enough to repent of your sins? To say, Lord, I've been doing me, and doing me is not working out for me. Or maybe you are saved and you've been doing you. I tell you, the times in my life when I'm doing me, and somebody said, you? Yeah. Y'all better get this thing twisted. You know why Colin prays for me a lot? Because he knows. Everybody need prayer. Ain't nobody too good for prayer. But the times in my life, when I was doing me, here's what happens when you start doing you. You pray less. You, you used to have prayer sensitivity. Prayer sensitivity, that means you wouldn't, it, you, you, you wouldn't do anything without praying. I mean, you wouldn't make any decision without praying. So the devil starts shifting you to where you depend on yourself more. Watch how sneaky that is. He knows your lifeline is your prayer life. So he wants to marginalize you. He wants to separate you so that you stop calling on the Lord. He knows if the battlefield is prayer, he'll lose. But if the battlefield is you, oh, he got you all day, every day. We, we start doing me. You Watch this. You, lose, you start losing your appetite for the things of God. Now, the reason why I'm being transparent is because the Holy Spirit was transparent with the disciples. Listen, they were right there with Jesus and had little faith. You can be a teacher here. You can be a preacher here. You can be a leader here. And be waning hemorrhaging your faith. It can be something that happened in your life. Somebody close to you, you lost. It could be something that traumatic that happened and you're secretly angry at God because God, you could have stopped that. It could be a bad relationship. It could be a bad relationship with somebody that attended the church. And the only reason why you were coming was because you wanted to get with her. Or you wanted to get with him. So you show up. Then when he and you don't work out, we don't see you no more. Jesus is saying, you come to me for me. Don't come to me for somebody else. So some of you, some of you, it's time. You've been dating too long not to be married to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I want you to come. 
Here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand where you are. We're not going to sing yet. Everybody stand where you are. Maybe there's somebody here that you need to rededicate your life to the Lord right now. You're not where you used to be with God. And you know and God knows. It's not anybody else's job to know, but you know. Maybe you're here and you're a scripture zealot, but you're not a disciple. Some of the people who sometimes fall furthest from grace are the ones who become victims of self-righteousness. Not unrighteousness. It's where you think you got it so down that even God can't tell you anything. And you said, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, it does. The Pharisees thought they had it so down that when Jesus came, he couldn't tell them nothing. He says, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have life. And these are they that testify of me and you won't even come to me. They rebuked Jesus with the scrolls in their hand? No, it's time. Somebody here needs to refresh their walk with the Lord if you need to come. This altar call is for prayer and for those who are ready to come to Jesus. Brother Darwin Brown, are you baptizing today? He's baptizing today. If somebody ready to give their life to Christ, ready to be baptized for the remission of your sins so that you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, don't put off today, tomorrow, to tomorrow what you can do today. Jesus is saying you believe, but you're not exercising it. Come right now. It's together we sing. If you need to walk, dedicate your life to the Lord, the time is now to come. The lesson is yours. The mail has been delivered. And the ball.